I knew that in this real estate world, the reason that we're in it is because it gives you opportunity that you just can't find. This industry, the real estate industry is full of incredibly smart and educated people, but also people that have never done any kind of graduate work and they're just out there hustling. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Life and Money Show. I'm Annie Dickerson, and together with Julie Lamb, we are thrilled to welcome you back to our special summer series where we're talking to members of the outstanding Good Egg team. And today we have none other than Jason Kleiman, our Director of Investor Relations. Jason, I know this isn't your first time on the show. Welcome back. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. It's a Monday afternoon. What is there to complain about? It's all good. Right? Yeah. When you're working with people you love and doing work that makes a difference, Mondays aren't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start to the week. Yes. Well, Jason, I know on the last episode where we had you on the show, you really dug into your story and your background. On today's show, I want you to give us some of the highlights of that, and then we'll maybe pick some unique aspects of your story to dig into, but start by giving the audience a little bit of background into how you got into real estate in the first place. Sure. I think way back, it feels like it's been a long time. I was thinking about this the other day. I actually got started in real estate back in 2000. So if I do the math correctly, I think that's almost 22 years, which seems incredible to me, but that's when it started. So I didn't get started in this business right out of college. I got started in sales. I thought I've got this gift of gab. I need to do something with that. So I got into electronic sales, which took me into, I don't know if you remember the dot-com world, but I was yes. part of the dot-com bubble in the mid nineties. And then in the late nineties, that whole bubble burst and the company that I was with burst along with it, and I had to recreate myself. So I decided at that point, my wife at the time and I were living in LA, we decided we wanted to move back to the Midwest where we're from. So we wanted to move back to Chicago. And I got this wild hair of an idea and said, commercial real estate is this thing I want to get into. Had no idea what I was talking about, but I knew that there were some people doing some really cool things within that world. And I jumped in talked to three or four different companies. And before I knew it, I was an office broker, jumped in and literally knew nothing. So I got my license back in 2000 and then became a broker calling on office tenants all over greater Chicago. That kind of evolved over time and got bigger and bigger, had some ups and downs. First couple of years in commercial brokerage stinks. No matter what you hear out there, it always stinks. But you managed to get through it and it became a very profitable venture for me. And that just sort of evolved. Over time, I got more into the investment side and I start making larger and larger checks. You make the larger commissions and you say, gosh, I just don't want to work for the next commission. I want to get into the world of investment. And so I started doing the one-off type of deals and those got bigger and bigger and had some successes, had some losses. And then that evolved into doing it more professionally. And that's where it kind of took off. That was probably 10 years into the world of commercial real estate. And then I started taking some pretty large gambles at that point. Then the story turns a bit. So it's interesting. I think the last time we talked, we talked about all the positive stuff. We talked about all the great successes and the wins and the, the things where you cheer and everybody likes to jump up and down. But 
It hasn't always been easy. We've had the ups and downs over time. I've been through a few cycles within the real estate market. I think everybody's felt these. It seems like once every 10, 8, 9, 10 years or so, we go through this up and down cycle within the real estate world. I have personally hit a couple of those in my time in this business. One that hit me specifically, it was in 2008. I don't know if you remember what happened in 2008, the whole world fell apart. It was in 2008 that I decided I wanted to create my first real venture. I was still a broker, but I wanted to go out and start buying properties. And I thought that I could go out and, and raise capital and make all kinds of magic happen. Unfortunately, 2008 and the recession hit. My venture capital, my investors that came along with me all ran for the hills. As quickly as they committed to me, they ran away. So before I could spend any of their money, I was all alone, my little island. And I was one of those guys that decided that no matter what, I was going to figure it out and I was going to succeed anyway. So I decided to tackle the market on my own with my own cash, with my own risk, with everything else. And that turned out to be one of the biggest learning moments of my life. So what happened was I ended up going long on some real estate ventures that I should have never gone long on. And then once I figured out that I shouldn't have gone long on them, I doubled down like any silly investor does. And so I took out one investment and then did another investment to make up for what I thought was going to be a loss. And then I did another one and they all stacked up. At some point, it all falls apart. And that's what happened to me. So it all came crashing down with the recession that went on for a good couple of years. And I had to recreate myself again, all the while I was still a broker. So throughout this whole process, I was still making money by, through my brokerage business, but I was losing even more money on my investments. So I learned a huge lesson at that point that I need to listen to the market. I need to listen to my partners and I need to understand why people are running for the hills. And when people are running for the hills, sometimes, sometimes you should run with them. In that case, I didn't, but I learned a lot and we recreated, we recreated ourselves and we ended up coming out with smiles on our faces. But at the time, I thought it was pretty painful. That took me to where we are today. So a good life lesson. Since then, we've recovered nicely, made some really nice investments. Things have turned around, got a number of investment partners that have been along with me along the way over the years, and uh, we do very well. So it's, mm -hmm. it's been a good venture. Yeah. Well, this is particularly relevant because of a lot of shifts in the economy of late, mm -hmm. which we'll dive into because I definitely want to get your thoughts on that. But I want to dig in a little bit further because when you get the knife in there, you just want to like turn it a little bit to see what's going to happen. So this is the first I've heard about a lot. I mean, I knew that things weren't all roses for you, but yep. this is my chance to really dig in too. So this investment that you were trying to put together, at least at the beginning, was this also in office? No, no. So I was doing office brokerage. I was doing leasing work. You know, I represented corporations. Mm -hmm. So I was in the really enviable position where I had major corporations, worldwide corporations that were hiring me and my team to manage their leased portfolio. So if they had leases they need to renegotiate in Canada or in Austria or in Orlando, Florida, I was at the tip of the spear. Mm -hmm. And so it was a really mm -hmm. nice place to be because I was responsible for the entire portfolio. So you do that for a number of years, then the commissions are good and you feel like you're invincible. You feel like you can do anything. So I decided that I wanted to do a more Chicago-centric business and we were going through this kind of upheaval within the world of condo development. There were a number of condos that were being developed that frankly were busting. Developers were building 20, 30, 40 unit condo projects and then they couldn't finish them out. They lost their financing. They just couldn't get them done. So my business plan was I was going to take advantage of that. And I was going to recreate those condos into apartment complexes, manage them for the next 
five to seven years and then sell them at a huge profit at some point. That was the business plan. And it sounded really good (laughs) until the markets dropped and financing simply wasn't available. I mean, it's interesting when you look at it as compared to today. We're going through a bit of a financing crutch, right? Everybody's feeling it. Inflation's through the roof. Financing, the rates are through the roof. Everybody hears all the bad news. But it's nothing like what we faced in 2008. In 2008 and 2009, it's not that the rates went up. It's that you couldn't get it. And so it was just a different world. And I was caught flat-footed in the middle of it, thought I was invincible because I had done pretty well in my brokerage business, and we just couldn't get anything done. It was an interesting Mm -hmm. time. Like I said, a learning experience for sure. Yeah. So you had these assets under contract or were you? Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I put them under contract. Let me give you a little bit more description. Yeah. On this. I'd go find a project here in Chicago or the greater uh-huh. Chicagoland area. And I went and put them under contract. Now, the idea was I was raising a fund. I was going to have mm-hmm. a few million dollars. I had committed capital from a number of very wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And once I had all that locked up with all the PPMs in place, I was going to go out and then put things under contract with money in hand. That was the plan. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, before I got the chance to put the first one under contract, all that money ran for the hills. So Uh. I found myself just dealing with my own ability, my own chutzpah, Mm -hmm. and my own cash. And I said, you know what? I can do this on my own. I know how this works. So I went and I hired my favorite attorney. We put things under contract. I put down my money. Money went hard, my money. Mm -hmm. And then I couldn't get the finances. So guess what happens? You lose everything. That's the lesson. My partners that were supposed to be in with me, they saw it coming. And I think I was probably a little bit egotistical at the time and thought it didn't matter what the market was doing. I was smarter than the market, but I just wasn't. So I learned a ton, lost a ton. But as any good, strong individual does, you you lick your wounds and you figure out how to move on to the next thing. Yeah. But it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun at all. Yeah. Hearing you talk about it, I can feel the stress of that situation. I mean, like when the bottom drops out for the whole world, essentially, I mean, Mm -hmm. you're one of many who are scrambling to try to figure something else out. So at that point, like how many of these projects did you have under contract? It didn't take that many for it to be consequential to me. I think at the top end, Mm -hmm. I probably had five that were under contract. And there were some, and it probably did maybe two or three more than that over the course of a year and a half or so. I was able to to cancel some. So it's not mm-hmm. like every deal I put money down and it went hard. Some you put 50,000 down on, 20,000 here, 40,000 here. It adds up really yeah. really quickly, right. right? Right. And so and so then if you're able to get 100% of your money back when you cancel the contract, yay. <laughs> but often what happens is you lose 20% or you lose 50% mm-hmm. or you lose 100% yeah. in the worst case scenario, but each time that you lose cash, it hurts. And there were a few that were larger than others. And those were the ones I I simply couldn't get out of. And I let them drag on too long. And I thought, I'm going to be able to get something done. And it just never happened, Mm -hmm. never came to pass. I can tell you the thing that really killed me was the lack of suitable financing. So again, if you look at what's happening today, it's not that the banks or the lenders are just not doing any lending. It's just the rates have changed. So it's there. And maybe they scrutinize things a little bit more these days than what they did six months ago or nine months ago. But the financing's there. What happened in 2008 was 
I would present a deal that I had under contract that I had money down for. I would go to whatever lending institution that I was friendly with or somebody I got referred to. I'd present it to them and I'd go in front of their lending committee and they'd say, gee, we don't like it because of X, Y, or Z, or we don't like it because of you, or we don't like it because of your partners, or whoever it is. But then often what would happen in the background is that lending institution was on the crux of going out of business. Mm -hmm. So in 2008, what happened was we had a lot of these mid-tier lenders who literally were on the cusp of leaving the earth completely, and they did. So if I take a look back at what happened with a lot of the lenders I was talking to, seven out of 10 of them, they don't exist today. So it wasn't necessarily me. It wasn't necessarily the deal. It was the lending atmosphere. At the time, it had to write itself. And unfortunately, I took the brunt of it. And so it was just a difficult time. It was truly an unwinnable situation. Mm -hmm. And the, the truth is what I should have done is taken a deep breath, stepped back, focused on where I could make money, where I was still making money, and not do the deals that I really wanted to do. I mean, I wanted these deals. I wanted them to come together. But the timing just wasn't right. The market was telling me very loudly, walk away. And I didn't listen. We'll get back to our conversation with Jason in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations. And as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Jason Kleiman. Yeah, you were caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. But again, we make it out of it. So you just have to realize it at some point. And the only way that I was able to realize it was to look at it straight in the face and say, okay, this money is gone. It is gone. These are all commercial deals. So it's not like it impacted my personal credit or this or that. But still, it was a huge financial hit. Not easy in the family scenario either. Yeah. 
You know, yeah. you, you want to talk about some tough conversations yeah. at home. Right. Yeah. That's actually what I was going to ask about because these things don't happen in a vacuum, right? It's not no. like it was just you against the world. You had your whole family around you. So tell us a little bit about that. I know your older daughter, was she around at that point? Well, the oldest one was born in 2007, in December of 2007. Oh, wow. So it was okay. all at the same time. It was the wow. first two years of her life that I was out there trying wow. to make miracles happen. Wow. And we were busy with young kid. It was, it was mm -hmm. four years later that we had kid number two. So at, by that point, we had kind of figured out a few things. But the first few years of my oldest daughter's life were tough. They were tough at yeah. home, not just because yeah. it's a new kid, but yeah, we had some really, really impactful financial situations yes. that hit us. But yeah. luckily, again, I never left my brokerage business. I worked for one of the largest and most powerful brokerage companies in the world. I worked for the Trammell Crow Company, which got acquired by CB Richard Ellis, CBRE Group. So I was in a good position there, uh, part of a big team. And I kept that going. I eventually created my own brokerage firm, which was great. Mm -hmm. But I always wanted to get into the investment side. So that was my first foray. Not a great start, but it was a good, like I said, a good learning lesson. Yeah. And I'm sure your first starter being born had mm -hmm. some impact on your, like your hunger, your passion to go out there and try to make miracles happen as sure. you mentioned, right? Cause you didn't want to yeah. have to work forever. You wanted to be able to spend more time with her. I'm sure. Well, that was always the goal. I knew that in this real estate world, the reason that we're in it is because it gives you opportunity that you just can't find in mm -hmm. almost any other industry. This industry, the real estate industry is full of incredibly smart and educated people, but also people that have never done any kind of graduate work and they're just out there hustling. So it's everything in between. And the great thing about real estate is it gives you that opportunity. It's there if you want to figure out how to make it work, whether it's on the brokerage side, the ownership side, or anything in between, there's an opportunity. It's an amazing market. Mm-hmm. And so through that first foray, you paid your tuition, let's say, <laughs> let's put yeah. it that way. And mm -hmm. then so you dusted yourself off and clearly you've had some wins since mm -hmm. then. So tell us what are some of the things you've invested in since then and how is your outlook on investing sort of different now? The main thing is that when I'm investing, I listen to those that I'm with. So I don't do anything on my own anymore. I really rely on people around me and people that co-invest along with me. The biggest takeaway for me was if everything is falling apart around you, take a good look at it because there's probably a reason why people are running in this direction or saying no over here. And no matter what the venture is, in the real estate world, in the real estate market, there's often going to be a series of naysayers that are going to tell you, hey, that can't work. That can't work. You should walk away from that. So you have to be able to balance that with the real cards are that are being shown to you. And sometimes you just need to listen to it and say, okay, maybe now's not the time or I need to take a, a slightly different path. So these days, and in the past decade, what I've done is I've kind of surrounded myself with very smart people. I've surrounded myself with people that have been in this business much longer than I have, people that have been much more successful than me, and to help kind of usher things along. So what did that look like? After this huge failure, at least in my head, it was I looked at it as a big failure with that first foray. 
I decided to just become a broker again, do what I knew how to do. I jumped back into that, figured out, you know what, it does work. I've got a great reputation in the market. People hire me for this, that, and whatever. It's a nice way to keep things fairly consistent. And then as I got into that, I started taking a few more little bites at the apple. So my wife and I bought a number of condos that then we rented out. We just did that on our own. That worked out really well. What was interesting, though, is on those condos, we never made a lot of money. There were a lot of tax write-offs, but we never made a ton of money. And it was a huge headache to be able to, to always have to lease them out and do upgrades and everything else. But but we did that. Again, nice learning lesson. And then I joined up with one of my favorite brokerage companies in Chicago, specifically because they were in the world of healthcare. They were taking some huge gambles on medical office buildings, surgery centers, and interesting facilities that were healthcare focused. And I said, you know what? This is something I want to be part of. And I joined up with them. I moved my brokerage business to them. I started investing along with them on one-off projects, which was great. And then we had an opportunity where together with these very smart people, and we had a big team of analysts and everybody else, we were able to go out and raise our first real fund. And it sounds crazy when I say it now, but we raised $300 million in our very first fund. It was done through a partnership with one JV partner who put in the lion's share And then we put in about 10% of the fund ourselves. And we went out and bought medical office buildings and surgery centers literally all over the country. And it was super fun. And that was my huge win. That was the thing that took me to the next level. It allowed me to create my own organization where I brought in a bunch of partners that knew me, that knew my reputation, that trusted me. They invested with me. Then I was able to invest back into our other fund. And it took off step by step by step. And that's what created that next iteration of my life. If not for that one move, I'd probably still be a broker. I'd probably still be out there doing leasing transactions, looking for the next client, which was fine. But I wanted to take the next evolution. And joining up with those folks and getting involved in healthcare real estate is really what did it. Yeah. And it's almost like that what happened in 2008 was your stepping stone into being able to do this at scale Mm -hmm. on a much bigger level with partners and with a lot bigger impact. Well, it's interesting. As I go and raise money over the years, I've often told people about my story in 2008, 2009, and I'm not alone. A lot of people have faced issues like this, and I think of it as kind of a traumatic experience. I remember if I really take a look back at what it was like in 2008, I went from the euphoria of saying, I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to go create this thing to all of a sudden the bottom falling out of it and saying, what did I do? And the reality is there are a ton of people out there who face the same thing. It might not have been in 2008 or 2009. Maybe it was last year. Maybe it was 20 years ago. But Most people in the world of investment in some way have hit an issue where it's just knocked them off their, off their feet and they, I didn't know how I was going to recover. And when you share in those stories, when you're open about those stories and you talk about them honestly, it creates a level of trust. What I found is that in most situations, when you talk to people that just tell you all the wonderful things that they've done, all the great things, you know, rainbows and unicorns and all the good stuff, usually they're hiding something. They're not telling you the full truth. There's often the downturn, and it's not necessarily bad, momentarily bad, but overall, it's what helps you create yourself and creates what you are today. And so my my whole point is, when I've explained that story to people over the years, it makes them kind of like me as a human being. It brings them in. It makes them feel very comfortable with me because I'm just a human. I'm a normal person. I've taken risks. I've taken gambles. They haven't all worked but some have worked really, really well. And so it's a nice story when you bring it all together. Not always easy, but 
it's just my story. It's what I've gone through. Yeah. It's a shared human experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so given that, you mentioned back in 2008 or during the dot-com burst, felt like the world was falling apart. Yeah. With where we are now, is the world falling apart? What are you seeing out there? Is this similar? Is this different from what you've seen before? And for those people who are running for the hills, what thoughts do you have for them? Yeah, I had this conversation just recently with a couple of folks. I don't see much similarity at all today with what I felt in 2008, 2009, or 1998 when we hit the dot-com bubble. It feels very different. What I see today is people aren't losing their job. You know, people aren't losing their homes. There's still money being lent. There's still job growth, at least in certain markets, especially the markets where we spend a lot of time. Cities are still doing very well. If you look at the number of people within Chicago or New York or San Francisco or Miami, they're growing. So very different today than what it was 12 years ago or 20 years ago when we faced the last one. Today, I feel like there's definitely something happening out in the market. And again, there are much smarter people than me that are prognosticating on what's going to happen. And inflation is very real. It costs more today to fill up your gas tank than it did six months ago. It costs more to go get a cup of coffee at Starbucks today than it did six months ago. So yeah, inflation is absolutely real. It's costing us more to live every single day. But we're going to make it out of this pretty well. I see, I'm not an economist. But I see this thing kind of evolving over the next 6, 12, 18 months back to a a little bit of normalcy so we can get back to our normal life. But financing is still there. If we look at it within the lens of real estate investment, we're still doing deals. We're out there buying things. The deals are there. The financing is there. The equity is there. This is very different than any downturn that I've been part of before. And the downturns that I've been part of before, when the bottom fell out, it was out for everybody. There was nothing happening for months at a time. In this case, yeah, the economy is still churning. People are still getting hired for new jobs in every industry. There are new companies starting literally every day. So I see this as being very different than what we faced in the past. I'm I'm pretty positive on it. I think right now, if I was going to go out and buy a house right now, it's probably a little scary to think of a mortgage at 5.5%, but that's temporary. And you know what? If it's not just temporary, it's 12 or 18 months out and we're still at 5% interest rates, well, you shift your life. But we're not all losing our jobs. Companies are not imploding in front of our eyes right now. So I'm still pretty positive on things. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that perspective. And especially for those listeners who might be newer to the world of real estate investing, it's always great to hear from somebody who's been through a few of these cycles to let you know, you know, it's it's okay. Things are yeah. going to be fine. This one's not mm-hmm. so bad. It may feel bad right now, but here's what, based on historicals, here's likely what's going to happen. And so thank you for sharing that perspective. For mm-hmm. all the listeners, as you can tell, there's a reason that Jason is in a leadership role on our team is because he brings so much great experience and knowledge to the table. And not only that, but Jason's always so open and willing to share with anybody. He's got the gift of gab. <laughs> so with that, we're going to move on to the final part of our show, our Life and Money Show Spotlight Round, our lightning round. We're going to ask you three questions we ask everyone. You ready? Yep. Let's go. All right. First question. Share with us one thing that you're doing to live a meaningful and intentional life by design. 
For me, it's all about my kids. I have a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old. So it's all about being a vital piece of their life and being present every single day with them. Whether it's a weekend, we're doing silly stuff like going to a festival or going to my favorite ice cream shop or whatever it happens to be. Or if I'm going to a basketball game or gymnastics practice or just a drive with my girls, it's being present with them. And that's the number one thing. And we live an hour and a half apart from each other. So we really have to work at being part of each other's lives. But it's one of my top priorities in life. And so for me, being intentional means being present. And it's every single day. I'm a divorced dad, but I am not a part-time dad. I am 100% full-time dad every single day. It's a huge piece of my life. Love that. We could tell that from the very first moment we talked to you was that your girls are such a big part of your life and so glad that you've been able to be such a big part of their life on an ongoing basis. All right. So second question, second question is to share with us a life or money hack that has really helped you on your journey that you think will help others as well. Yeah, well, the number one thing you probably heard it earlier is listen to those around you, you know, just be aware of what people are saying to you. Don't always think that everything that you're being told is golden, that it's absolutely fact or that it's based on anything, but you need to pay attention. Pay attention to those around you. Pay attention to those that have been doing it longer than you and just take it in and be a sponge. I think I talked last time about just reading. There's a million books out there, whether it's a podcast or a hardback book or whatever it is. People like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, go read that stuff, but also attend conferences. If you want to be serious about being in this real estate world, whether it's investing, brokerage, or anything in between, be part of it. Take advantage of what's in your local city. Every major city around the country has these things, has events that whether you're a broker or just interested in being involved, you can attend. Maybe there's a $50 fee or $100 fee, but it's worth it. Just go listen. Be a sponge. Understand what people are doing and just be there. Take it all in. There's endless amounts of information. Some of it's free, some of it you pay for, but just be a sponge and take it all in. Love it. Be a sponge. Great advice. Final Mm -hmm. question, Jason. What is one thing you're doing to help make the world a better place? I'd like to believe that every single day, the people that I touch emotionally, verbally, whatever it is, that I'm making it a better place. I try really hard. I've told you guys from the the first time that we all met that one of my big things is that everybody wins. I mean that. I believe that. I've been through the ups and downs of life. It's not always wonderful. It's not always rainbows. But you know what? I've always had good people around me. I've always had people around me that care, people that have my best interests at heart, people that want to see me win. So I try to do the same thing with everybody that's around me. Some days I fail. Some days I just don't do it. And some days, you know, I'll walk into a coffee shop and I'm grumpy and I look at somebody sideways and I don't say the nicest thing in the world. But you know what happens is if I've got one of my girls with me or a friend with me, when I'm not being myself, I usually get an elbow on my side and they say, (laughs) dad or Jason, that's not you. And so I quickly get back into the the Jason that I know that I am, that I want to be, and I try to improve everybody's life. And it can be in being a mentor, a coach, or could just be in taking an order from your favorite waiter or waitress. Everything has an impact, and I try to remember that every single day. And again, it's not always easy, not a perfect science, but I genuinely try with every interaction that I have. Everybody deserves to win just a little bit. Yes, everybody deserves to win. And when everybody can win, it's the best for everyone. 
Before we wrap up, the last question I have for you, Jason, if there's somebody listening who has really connected with your story and wants to learn more, wants to get on board, maybe invest alongside us, tell them what's the best place that they can go. The best thing to do is get on our website. So if you go to the website and then click onto our investor club, you can sign up right there and you'll get into our whole sphere and you'll be invited to either set up a time to talk to me or somebody on our team, or you can start just getting our mailings, our emails, our text messages, everything that comes out from us, just get into our sphere. But the main place is to go to our website and sign up for the investor club. That's the main place. Jason Kleiman, Director of Investor Relations at Good Egg Investments. Jason, thank you so much for being here and sharing your infinite wisdom with us and our listeners today. Always fun. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 